0: Welcome to the Presence podcast from Hope Community Church Wyndham. You can find more resources and connect with us through our website at hopecommunitychurch.co.uk. We hope you'll be encouraged and inspired as you listen good morning to all those online and all those in the room it's my privilege to continue our series of hearing god as we look at the great prophetic characters of elijah and elisha if you've got your bibles with you we're going to be in 1 kings 18 today 1 kings 18 Uh, It's um, the 12th book of the Bible. Hopefully you can find that and follow it with me. But first, a true story. I'm old enough to remember the uh, actor, Richard Harris. Some of those who are younger will know that he was the one who played Dumbledore in the first Harry Potter film. And um, he was on a trip to Ireland. And um, he, being a rich man and living most of his life in America, had not um, uh, been used to a car with a gear shift. So he was hiring a car, he was driving in Ireland, he left the depot. Um, and he came to the first traffic lights and of course stalled the car because he wasn't used to changing gear. And uh, while he was there, he was fighting to get the gears and the lights went red, they went to green, they went to red again, green, red, and he was still stuck there trying to find the gears. And the Irishman behind him got out of his car and came to him and he said, excuse me, sir, but can you tell me which shade of green you will move on, please? It's a bit of an embarrassing situation, but sadly, for too many Christians, uh, we're a bit like Richard Harris. We can face many green lights from God. He instructs us to move, and yet we do not move. Today, we're going to be looking at hearing God, and particularly the key, the key of obedience and hearing God's voice. So what we're looking at today is a prelude to probably the most famous story about the life of Elijah. We're going to be looking at what what precedes um, uh, uh, before the Mount Carmel experience when he calls fire down from heaven, and uh, it's just an extraordinary story of obedience that Elijah is engaged in. Also, we're going to be looking at in. The prelude we're going to be looking at a new character we're going to be introduced to in this story by the name of Obadiah. So we're going to be looking at uh, obedience from Elijah's point of view and from Obadiah's point of view. So let's put it in context. So we're looking at this um, this period after the great and glorious reign of David's son Solomon. It's a most magnificent display of what a nation looks like when it's living obedient to God. It's a glorious uh, occasion of extraordinary glory and splendor. But sadly, it ends when Solomon dies with Israel parting, with civil war and separation taking place. And the Northern Kingdom is where we are at in the story of Elijah. And the northern kingdom has Samaria as their capital city. And they now have a king. His name is Ahab. And he is one of the most wicked and rebellious kings that Israel ever has. He's aided by his wife Jezebel. And they lead the God's people into all sorts of pagan worship. Into Baal and the Asherah gods, the fertility gods and uh, it is a terrible, dark time. But because of God's kindness, and I can't stress this enough, because of God's kindness, he sends Ahab a prophet in the shape of Elijah, who is instructed to pray that it does not rain and that a dew does not fall, and so that he, the wicked king, will know that his bar. And his Asherah, these fertility gods are nothing compared with the almighty God. And the drought lasts for three years. And we're going to pick up the story in a moment at that very point. Let me just say this. The Bible and the unfolding of world history is the story of God's tireless, loving, inexhaustible patience with the human family. And it's the story of our unbelief, our blindness, and our disobedience. God is so gracious to us. And the story of Elijah is God's grace to this most wicked king, Ahab. Such is God's grace that he gives Ahab three and a half years to repent. Sadly, the story as we know it uh, doesn't end well and Ahab doesn't repent, but it's a story of God's immense grace. So we're in chapter 18 of 1 Kings, and we're going to be looking at three aspects of hearing God. Hearing God and obedience, hearing God and worship, and hearing God and the miraculous. Three things I think God wants to teach us on this morning. So, Got your Bibles ready? 1 Kings 18. I'm going to read little sections of it and then comment and then read some more. Just the first two verses to start off with. After a long time, in a third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. What an amazing act of extraordinary, courageous obedience. Ahab has been looking for Elijah. He thinks Elijah's caused a great deal of trouble. And he wants to see the end of Elijah's life. He's been seeking him for three over three years to bring him to death. He's brought many prophets to death already. And Elijah hears the word to go and go face-to-face with Ahab. I don't know about you, but if I was Elijah, I'd have some questions to ask. I'd be reticent about this. But it says, without hesitation, Elijah goes to meet Ahab. Wow. You know, hearing without doing is hearsay. It's hearsay at best, at worst, it's hypocrisy. Until you obey what you hear, you've simply been educated beyond the level of your obedience. I'm sorry, I'm going to be saying some pretty hard things this morning, but I feel God really wants to impress these upon us. Let me just say that again. Hearing without doing is hearsay at best, and hypocrisy at worst. Until we obey what you hear, you're simply being educated beyond the level of your obedience. That was certainly not the case with Elijah. Elijah has been been obedient in his response continuously. He's a bit of a mysterious prophet. We don't know where he came from. We find he has a mysterious end But all the way through his life, there's this thread of extraordinary obedience. And we saw that as we looked at chapter 17. He bursts on the scene and he declares a drought on the land. This is what he'd been instructed to do and he did it, even though um, it was going to cause great hardship in the land. Then he gets some more instruction. He's told to leave where he is at so that he can hide from Ahab and go to a brook where uh, uh, there is uh, some water supply at Kerith. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm, I'm sort of declaring a drought for a long period of time, the last place I want to go to is a brook. I mean, it's going to dry up within days. You know, give me Galilee, the Lake of Galilee, or something bigger. But now, Elijah is instructed to go to a brook and guess where he goes? In obedience, he goes to a piddly little brook. And of course, guess what happens? It dries up. But God knows what he's doing and Elijah isn't questioning his instructions. Every step of the way, he is obedient. So God then says to him, I want you to go to the very center of, of pagan worship I want you to go to Zarephath the city of Jezebel I want you to go there wow that's another huge step of obedience we are already educated way beyond the level of our obedience we don't need to know more we need to do more and with what we know I have a very simple take on spiritual maturity. It's all about the theoretical becoming experiential. In other words, the more mature we are is indicated not by what we know or the more we know, but by the more that we do. A mature Christian isn't necessarily the one who knows more, but the one who obeys more. See, in the Hebrew understanding of understanding and grasping of knowledge, knowing is doing, and doing is knowing. In other words, if we aren't doing it, then we don't really know it. So, Elijah's on this journey of obedience. He's declared this prophetic drought. He's moved to the brook. He's now gone to Zaraphath, And guess what he meets there? He meets a woman who is a widow with a son who's just about to die. She's run out of food. Surely God's got it all wrong. This whole journey seems to be full of questions. Yet, but yet Elijah continues in obedience. He gives her some instructions that God has given him. And as a result of that, there's this amazing provision of food that lasts the whole duration of the drought. And then it all goes wrong again. He's experienced the the brook drying up, being sent to Zarephath to a widow who can't feed him. And now he finds that the widow's son has suddenly died. It just doesn't make sense, obedience, sometimes. It's most confusing and full of questions. Let me give you a quote from Bill Johnson. I think it sums this up. To obey only when we see that there will be a favourable outcome is not obedience. Obedience is supposed to be expensive. To embrace what he has shown us and to obey what he has commanded us. Often in the midst of unanswerable questions is an honor beyond measure. See, we so often want to be obedient if we know it's going to turn out well. If it's going to meet our sort of criteria of what makes sense. But following God sometimes just doesn't make sense. Not to us. Makes a lot of sense to our God, but not to us. Well, Elijah is now faced with this tragedy. A widow has lost her only son. And then we find in chapter 17, verse 21. Then, this is Elijah, stretched himself out on the boy three times, carried him and cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Would you have been obedient? Would you have done that? Was there any record before this of if you stretched yourself out on a corpse, it would live? Absolutely not. But Elijah again is being obedient to the word of God. He is lying out on the corpse and he's crying out to God three times. I don't know if you ever realized this, but um, the stone wasn't rolled away from the tomb of Jesus so that Jesus could get out. He was already out before the stone was rolled away. You know, sometimes later he walks through a wall to get through his disciples. He doesn't need the stone moved away. So why was the stone moved away? It was so Mary and the disciples could go in and have the proof that Jesus truly was resurrected. God didn't need Elijah to stretch out his body on the child and cry out three times for life to come. But in so doing, he reinforces the resurrection story that's going to unfold centuries later. That when a saviour was stretched out on a cross, and after three days, resurrection would come. Wow. God's grace and mercy towards us. You know, if we want to get hearing God right, we first got to get obedience right. Elijah hears so much from God because he is so obedient to God every step of the way. So two things I want to finish up with at this point. It's simply this. If you are not hearing the voice of God, ask yourself, are you doing the last thing he asked you to do? You got that? I think the people in the room, I'll say it again, just so you can gasp it. If you're not hearing God, ask this question. Are you doing the last thing that God asks you to do? Why should you give you more instruction when you haven't done the last bit of obedience? I have found that advice so helpful in my own life and often found roadblocks because I haven't obeyed God over the last thing he taught me to do. And then secondly, and this I really wanted you to grasp this concept about hearing God, and it's this the power of the word of God for you is dependent or sorry from you is dependent on what you do with the word of God to you. So let me put it like this. If you want to bring prophetic words to others to have huge significance, then how are you handling the words of God to you, that God's speaking to you right now? If you are being obedient to those, I think your words to others will become increasingly powerful. See, Elijah demonstrates that. Every word that God gives him for himself, he acts upon declares the drought, goes to Kerith. goes to Zarephath, lays upon the corpse of this dead son. Every act of obedience indicates that the words that he's going to speak for others are going to be immensely powerful. Wow. So that's hearing God and obedience. So we're not really going to get off that theme. We're going to stick with it. But number two, hearing God and obedience. Worship. So back to chapter 18 and 2b. We're going to pick it up there. Now, the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. That's a, a, a key man right at the center of this wicked king's administration. Obadiah was a devout believer in in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, 50 in each, and had supplied them with food and water. So we're suddenly introduced to this character that is called Obadiah. Wow. And um, I want to just say this, There is no place that God cannot influence. Do you realise that? However dark and uh, demonic it might be, God can influence it. God can put his man in that place. Just think about it. Joseph, alongside Pharaoh of Egypt, and how he influenced not only Egypt, but the nations around them. What about Daniel with the pagan king? Of Babylon again hugely influencing and now we have the faithful Obadiah alongside the most wicked king of all Ahab there is nothing that God cannot influence isn't that great and nothing that God cannot do so who was Obadiah well the truth is we don't really know the reason being There's 13 of them in the Bible. Obviously, one of those common names like Smith. Obadiah, 13... Oh, sorry, Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) Obadiah, 13 of them. So who was this one? Well, we, as I said, we don't know. He might have been that prophet who wrote that small prophetic book, which was a prophecy against Edom. You find it in the Minor Prophets. It might have been the Obadiah who rebuilt the temple in Josiah's day, but the honest answer is we have no idea. What we do know, he was right at the center of Ahab's court. And boy, didn't he have an influence. I'm sure if I mentioned Oscar Schindler, many of you will uh, know that name. Uh, Probably because of the film, Schindler's List, you're familiar with the story. But for those who are not, let me just briefly tell you the story. He was a Czech industrialist who set up a factory in Poland. Most of his laborers were Jews, and then suddenly the Second World War broke out. And he feared for the Jewish employees that he had. And he took this brave step to protect uh, the Jews against the persecution of the Nazis. And the story is that he saved 1,100 Jews from uh, the gas chamber at Auschwitz. Somebody wrote this Schindler's List uh, uh, chronicles the trials and triumph of one man who made a difference and the tribulations of those who survived one of the darkest chapters in human history because of his actions. Well, Obadiah is like Schindler. He sees the plight of the prophets of God and he protects uh, uh, them, 100 of them. He hides them in the sort of 2,000 caves and around Mount Carmel. He hides them there. And what's more, He makes sure that daily provision goes to them, which, of course, exposes them or could expose them and him. What extraordinary bravery. What extraordinary obedience. See the theme? Elijah's obedience. Now, Obadiah's obedience to God's voice. This is a great quote from Spurgeon. It's a bit old English, but I'm going to read it to you because it's great. About Obadiah account for it how you may. It is a singular circumstance that in the center of rebellion against God, there was one whose devotion to God was intense and distinguished. As it is horrible to find a Judas amongst the apostles, so it is grand to discover an Obadiah among Ahab's courtiers. What grace must have been at work to maintain such a fire in the midst of the sea, such godliness in the midst of the vilest iniquity. That's your Obadiah. What a character. Don't you want to be like him? This brave man who saved a hundred prophets when it could have cost him his life. I think there's a key to Obadiah's life. And it's simply his name. Do you know what it means? It simply means this. Worshipper of Yahweh. Worshipper of the almighty God. I don't think it's any accident that he was given that name and he was able to do such courageous obedience. You know, we have a strange concept about what worship is we think it's singing but actually Obadiah grasps what true worship is all about it's sacrificial obedience now some of you have heard me talk about the law I first mentioned before it's a theological concept that um, believes this that when the bible first looks at a subject specifically the most significant aspects about that subject are revealed. So let me ask you online, those in the room, when is worship specifically spoken about in the Scriptures? you find it actually first mentioned in Genesis 22, 5. And guess what is happening? It's Abraham with his son Isaac. And they're going up a mountain to sacrifice Isaac. This is the greatest call of obedience that Abraham has ever had to face. But what does Abraham call this act? He calls it worship. So worship is first and foremost not singing. It is courageous, outrageous obedience. That's What it is. So let me just finish this section with this. The word of God comes more readily to you when your worship is costly, sacrificial obedience. That's what Obadiah is displaying to us. At great risk to himself, worship. It can be singing, hallelujah. But what it really is in its heart is when we take unbelievable risks to do what God says. In the face of our questions, our doubts, when it doesn't make sense, we do it all the same. Wow. Then we've grasped what is the heart of worship. Sacrificial obedience. And then finally, hearing and the Miraculous, which verse five, let me read a big chunk now of what I said, this prelude to the um, Mount Carmel um, great showdown. So Ahab had said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive so we will not have to kill any of our animals. So the drought has got so bad, Even the king's livestock are at risk. So they divided the land they were to cover, Ahab going in one direction, Obadiah in another. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him. He bowed to the ground and said, Is it really you, my lord, Elijah? Yes, he replied. Go tell your master Elijah is here and then what we're going to discover now is Obadiah has a bit of a problem with that instruction (laughs) here we go what have I done wrong asked Obadiah that you are handing me handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death as surely as the Lord your God lives There is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear they could not find you. But now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. I don't know where the spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. So obviously Obadiah is feeling... a bit insecure about this. This could lead to my death. Let's read on. If I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves. 50 in each, and supplied them with food and water. And now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here, he will kill me. Elijah said, as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. Do you see the connection again? He says, I have worshipped for my youth. And what did he then talk about? He talks about the supreme obedient sacrifice he makes in saving a hundred prophets. You get the connection. Worship is sacrificial obedience. Verse 16, we're nearly finished. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to them, is that you, you troubler of Israel? This is Elijah response I have not made trouble Israel Elijah replied but you and your father's family have you have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table We're going to learn next week what happens in that story. But what is going to unfold is one of the great miracles of the Old Testament. When fire comes from heaven. You think a drought for three and a half years is an amazing miracle. Now fire from heaven that laps up an offering. Wow. Let me just um, ask you a question. How did the most miraculous life that's ever lived this earth begin? Of course, I'm talking about Jesus and all his miracles. How did it all begin? How did his public miraculous life begin? It began at a wedding. And it began with these words. Do whatever he tells you. You got that? It was the words of Mary to the servants. Do whatever he tells you. In other words, the greatest life of miracles began with the call to obedience. Do you see it? Now, we all want miracles, don't we? I just feel at this moment, I don't know if it's somebody in this room or somebody online, but God wants to heal your left knee. You are in pain Is that somebody in the room or is that somebody on screen? Oh, somebody here in the room, but I think it also could be somebody online. I just want you to put your hand on your left knee right now and I'm just going to pray. God, will you just release a miracle? Will you take all pain and suffering from that person right now? Bring total freedom, total movement, total strength. In Jesus' name, amen. See, we we want miracles. What we don't want is the call to obedience. It's costly. We want the miracles without having to pay the price. But it began, the greatest miraculous life began with this call to obedience. So if you want to see the miraculous in your life, then we need to do all that he tells us to do. And sometimes it can seem weird. Some of you who've been on the school might know this story. But I was asked to go and, and uh, preach at a church just for 20 minutes on healing and then pray for the sick. That was my instruction. And so I was faithful. I, I, I got a word that I thought God gave me about the man being let down from the roof at Jesus' feet. But God told me to do this. He said, I want you to take a CD of a heartbeat and i want you to ask the uh, pa team to play it uh, continuously while you preach and i thought that's weird that's, they think i'm weird they probably think i'm weird anyway but they think i'm really weird and i thought there's no way i'm going to do that but god kept on saying look look i don't care what you're going to preach what you do just play the cd so I thought, well, I first have got to make this CD. So I remember there was a heartbeat on um, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. Great album. I'm really into uh, progressive rock. So I just looped it. I looped it and looped it. And I looped it for 20 minutes. And I took it with me and I thought, they are going to think I'm stupid. Anyway, I gave it to the guy at the, the sound desk. And he was willing to play it. And so while I was speaking, there was boom, boom. Boom 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 in the background. And I must admit, for the 20 minutes, I was dying a thousand deaths, thinking this is so stupid. But I had I had a word for somebody who not only needed to be healed of uh, their physical problem, but needed to be healed of a spiritual problem. They just didn't know that their sins were forgiven. Remember, that was a little phrase in the story. And after I preached, I called people forward. And the, one of the first people to come forward was this guy. He was in tears. I went to him. He said, I want you to pray for me. He said, uh, I've got angina. He said that I've been on medication and it seems to be been stable. Until the last week, it's been all over the place. I've got to go to the doctors tomorrow. I'm in severe pain. The tablets are not working. I'm suffering from my heart. And as you played the heartbeat, I felt God was saying, this is the time for you. It's for you. He said, what's more, I want you to pray for me because I did something really terrible in my early life and I don't believe God can forgive me. So I prayed for both. And uh, I was fortunate to go back to that church about, about nine months later for a leadership training that I was doing. And um, one of the first people to come up to me was this man And he just said this, he said, I just want to thank you for praying for me. I don't even know, but God healed me. I went to the doctors on Monday and uh, the doctor couldn't find anything wrong with my heart and I've not been on any medication since I've been healed. But he said, what's more amazing, he said, for the first time, I have felt forgiven. I knew that Christ's sacrifice was sufficient. You know, we could have missed that miracle if I just said, this is stupid. God wouldn't work this way. Well, he works in amazing ways. Ways that we cannot possibly imagine. But if we want to see the miraculous, we need to be increasingly obedient to what he says to us. So as the band come and join me, I just want to finish with the story of 153. Does that numbering about to you it's the story of disciples who go out fishing all night and catch nothing zero and then god says to them uh, have you caught anything or you've caught nothing in conversions and they have to recognize that and then he says i want you to cast your net over the other side of the boat that is crazy. Now, a Galilean boat, i bought my tape measure here. If you put the tape measure across the boat, you will find that it's seven foot, six inches wide, which is about 230 centimeters. Can you imagine? You've been fishing all night. You've been dredging Galilee, and you've caught nothing. And then God says, how about fishing seven foot six further away from the boat? You think he's completely and utterly bonkers. Of course, the answer is 153 enormous fish. See, obedience doesn't make sense but it's the glorious answer. 12 years ago, we were moving to Wyndham. We had the house sale. Everything was moving. Two weeks before we were due to move, our house sale fell through. We were devastated. We'd located a house north of Wyndham so Frost could travel to a workplace, which was uh, North Norfolk at the time. It was a deliberate decision. I remember being in a meeting with a group of leaders and I shared my stress at what was happening and one of the leaders that came up to me and said, God's telling you to fish on the other side of the, the boat and it struck me I went home and told Floss I said, Floss, God has got an answer but it's not in the location we thought, North. maybe we should look south so we opened up right move, suddenly as we looked at right move, a bungalow came on the market south of Windham. We went to see it the next day. In five weeks we were living there. What an amazing miracle. Nobody thought it was possible. God did it. Seven foot six inches. What a difference seven foot six inches can make. Or nine inches in total. Wow. Such is the ways of God. Miracles don't just happen when we believe God for big things. Miracles happen when we obey God in the little things. Do you want to be a friend of God? John tells us how to be a friend of God. It's when you do what he commands you. Samuel 1. 15 to 22 says this to obey is better than sacrifice that's what this talk is all about this call to obedient sacrifice my final statement is this we won't be held accountable for how much we have done but for how much we have done what he's asked us to do you got that? See, it isn't that Western Christians aren't busy. They are. It isn't that they're not serving. They are serving. It's just that often they're not doing what God's called them to do. Obedience. So let me say that last thing again. We won't be held accountable for how much we have done, but how much we have done of what he's asked us to do. Thanks for listening. To connect with us or for more resources like this, go to hopecommunitychurch.co.uk.